This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. It's a grand excuse. Uh, well, thank you. I know this was sort of short notice for you. I was a little like uh, uh, anxious that, um, I don't know, sometimes when you're dealing with sort of phalanxes of PR people. No uh, worries. It's, it's still our nightmare. It has yet to happen that someone's going to come on and they're expecting us to interview them. And we're like, we, we have more PR people right now than we have guests. I, I know. <laughs> I'm very, I'm afraid of saying anything. It's, uh, I, I will say, uh, Joe is up to date. I watched the first episode and this is how I watch TV now. I'm like, oh, this is good. I'm gonna wait till it's done, right? And then I've been yeah. trained to binge. And then have an opinion, you mean? No, to, <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm, yeah, uh, but no, to, to binge watch it. But I know it's well, something. I, I have to congratulate you guys because I, of course, being a, a huge fan of the original movie, I came to this with great trepidation. Uh, no, Joe, let's we, let's be honest. We both came to it with the same thing. It was not trepidation. It was like, fuck these guys. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, it is a high watermark science fiction movie. It is one of the most intelligent and, and uh, you know, I think meaningful science fiction pictures ever. Yeah. And so yeah. it was a high bar. But um, I've been very impressed with the, oh, the way you. that you guys have handled it and, and the, 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 the fact that it's not a remake, but it kind of is, and it's a sequel, and it's got the, some of the same characters. I think the the, the idea of replacing um, David Bowie with Dave, Bill Nye. Is oh my, brilliant. yeah! What were you going to do? Brilliant. Not that we want to talk about the work. What would you have done if you hadn't got Bill Nye? Like, who the hell else is there to? For real, we were thinking about, and this our other dream person was Tilda Swinton. Oh sure. Oh, by the way, yes, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Why the hell did you cast Bill Nye? What's the matter? <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it's just the, the original movie is, is it was just so unexpected and so yeah. intelligent and so forward thinking about a whole lot of things that have that have happened that that um, you know it just is a, was a benchmark for me. But but uh, this show and 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 particularly the lead performance of uh, sure, Jayafor is uh, it's 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 one of the best alien performances I've ever seen in a movie, and I've seen mm, all of them. Yeah, you know <laughs> what he does. Yeah. What, he, what he does with this is really remarkable. I mean, I, it's um, I, I just it's, I can never I just can't wait for the next episode. You know, I think, and I I, I feel a little bit silly um, uh, speaking about what another person's thinking or feeling, um, um, but it doesn't stop me. Um, I think that he's having he had a good time. I mean, mm -hmm. he's. I think people often think of him as a very intellect, intell an intellectual actor, certainly a brave actor, but an intellectual actor. Um, and he, I had no idea how, and it's a word that, um, it's a funny word, it's an old word, but he seems kind of merry, M-E-R-R-Y. <sighs> On set, he seems merry while, while you're sort of watching him, like he himself is having a good time. And it could be totally fucking wrong, but um, that's kind of the vibe I got. That was exciting. That's wonderful. Yeah, no, I've, I've been a giant fan forever. I'm trying to think, was, was, um, uh, was Dirty Pretty Things the pretty, pretty first things. thing I would have seen him in? or um, Only very early. Yeah, I think yeah. the first thing I would have seen him in would have been Amistad, actually. Uh, oh, right, right. Love Actually? Love Actually was after, way after Dirty Oh, things. way after, yeah. 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 And, yeah. Uh, no, no, um, yes, my, my wife, my wife and I, my, it's, yeah, Love Actually and my wife and I is a long story. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, love conquers everything. That's all I'll say. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but, um, yeah no, I remember in Dirty Pretty Things just going, oh, my God, this is like one of those movies where you're just like, okay, a movie star has arrived. Um, yeah. Sure. yeah. Where, where is this and go? everything's different. Like that movie, that movie was nothing 
it wasn't about anything that I'd seen and it wasn't handled in the way that I'd seen. And the perspective was completely new and fresh. Mm -hmm. um, and was it, oh, oh, uh, okay. Moment, COVID moment. Um, the actress who played the hooker. You're, yes, yes. Um, Sophie, oh, Sophie. Oh, Canedo before. Sophie oh, Canedo uh, yeah, before. yeah, yeah. She was yeah. just so, just the humor. I don't know, everybody in that movie. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I love that film to death, but, uh, but we're not here to talk about the movies I love, and we're not here to talk about your dopey show. That's not what we do. In fact, <laughs> we're going to cut all references to it. because okay, we're not. Yeah, we are. Joe. We never, we don't, we don't know. No one should come on here and promote their stuff. That's not the point. <laughs> but if they were going to come on and promote their stuff, we would tell you that The Man Who Fell to Earth is on HBO and it's playing right now. Um, and and uh, it's it's terrific. Uh, Chiwetel with a hose in his mouth drinking water is just, I did it. That's an image. Um, I'm going to say that's an image. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's but, funny? Can I, I'm just, can, so sometimes I feel like I'm going to say a lot of stuff like my dad and when I was younger, but it, I feel like it used to be about the shot and it's not about the shot anymore. Um, but I feel like that is, the, is, a, is a shot in the way that things were. Does that make any sense? 100%. Yes. Yes. Um, and I was a big fan of your dad as well. Oh, thank you. My God. And as long as we're, I, I, I literally had one conversation with him on the phone to discuss the possibility of meeting to write his last film. Which one? For before the Devil Knows Your Dad? No, no, no. The, the one he was gearing up to do. With um, the, one one did, with the one he didn't make. The one he didn't make. Um, yeah, I got it. Don't remember the title either. It was a while back. But yeah, and it was just, I'm just sitting on the phone. I'm like, thank God I'm not in the room because I'd just be making a complete, he would see like what a dripping wreck I was. I'm like, oh my <laughs> God. I'm... Oh, well, I well, will, and that is a little bit probably inappropriate, but at the end of his life, um, he was having a perfectly fine time still taking meetings. Mm -hmm. he, um, either he believed he would live forever but on the on the flip side, he wanted if he had a tombstone, he wanted it to say, "I knew it." <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was taking me, but he was still taking meetings. And I remember Uma Thurman coming over, and Dad sort of sitting up in bed with his tray because he couldn't really get out of bed at that point. And Uma Thurman sitting sitting on the edge of the bed, and unless that was a hallucination of his, and she's now going to call you guys and say that never happened, <laughs> and we'll invite her on the show. And yes. Thank you. Win-win. Uh, that's wonderful. Well, um, listen, yeah, we wanted to get you on and kind of talk to you guys about the stuff that makes you tick. I mean, Joe, by the way, we are here with Alex Kurtzman and Jenny Lumet. Oh, yeah, uh, the we creators. Uh, yeah, Sometimes it helps to tell them. We're terrible at this. We're terrible. <laughs> you can tell we have day jobs. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, the creators of the new uh, Man Who Fell to Earth show on Showtime, which um, if you're not watching – you should, unless you're doing what I'm doing and story them all up. And you don't have to have seen the previous movie in order to enjoy the show, although it helps. It, it definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, yes to all that. I just, I, uh, we should stop. I was just going to say, I, I, I love the way it's sort of, it really is just, a, as you say, it's both a kind of a reboot and a sequel at the same time. And um, anyway, it's, it's lovely. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. But, but that's it now. No more of that. Uh, we want to we want to talk about the movies that 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 make you guys tick. Um, okay. All right. And, uh, I don't know if you just want to just jump into it. Do you want to sure. like, bring something up, and we'll see if we've heard of it. Um, uh, this is all very last minute. I'll I'll let them know. I I know what they're going to talk about. Joe has no idea. Oh well, it's but Joe's literally seen everything. I never know what they're going to talk about, but that's well, okay. it, he, he keeps me in the dark on purpose. I'm very curious to 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 hear Joe's point of view on the on a lot of these, but. We have so we each have five, but then this morning I was actually mixing the finale and I sat down because I, I saw like, oh, what are the films that inspired us while we were writing it? And yeah. I, I don't, and that's actually a whole separate list. So I, we can, <laughs> we can, I'll just be throwing things at you. Feel free, by the way, you're, yeah, there's no, there's no, we don't hand out tickets or anything. Feel free to mix it and, up. And, and, there's, and there's no set limit to what we talk about. Okay, but he's also saying inspired us. And that may or may not be the case because sometimes. We find out that we were writing about two entirely different. Or often, we find out that we were writing about two entirely different things. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, especially when when speaking to other people about this about the show, I'm like, "That's what you were writing about, really? I had no fucking idea." And um, so, the movies that inspired him may not have inspired me, and vice right. vice versa, as Judy Holiday said. 
Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's why it's fun. I also want to see if we can get you guys to argue. That would be fun. We don't argue. We have a really perverse partnership. We bicker, oh. but we genuinely like each other and are friends and have a like mutual respect and enjoy each other's company. So it's really like weird and this. Yeah, no, we've never actually had an argument. We fuck with each other all the time. All the time. But we don't argue. There's just no reason to really. It's fun, actually. It's 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 an interesting we we even we have such a similar um like even though we don't have necessarily the same movies as touch point references, whenever we're talking about a movie, we will typically have had, a, a, I don't know, a, like a mutually beneficial experience from that film. And so we can, we can both bring whatever, you know, baggage we have into it and talk about it in relation to something we're working on. That, that actually happens all the time. Okay, give us one. Well, yeah. Yeah, give us one. Who wants to go first? Yeah, you go first. Um, well, you haven't seen... And this is actually is, um, is pretty much the only issue that I have in our relationship is that Alex Kurtzman has not seen the movie that of the three the five movies that changed my life and formed me as a human. One of which is Blazing Saddles. And yeah. if you haven't seen Blazing Saddles, I think besides being anti-Semitic as a human, <laughs> I think really? you might have to get off this podcast because I don't know who doesn't who has who doesn't see that. Yeah, Joe. I don't know. We've never we've never come to actually have to do that with anyone but sure blazing saddles really, really? like like, a, like to kick someone off or like not, yeah i know i i, I mean our whole shtick yeah. is like we don't want people to feel intimidated it's not about the pantheons about yeah. what you like everybody's yeah. different and but come on how, <laughs> how, how does that happen it's interesting that's about blazing saddles is that, that there's no way that there's no way that movie could be made today yeah no, no way no no way and the fact that my parents who you know in that sort of what was that movie like 77 or something like that? 74. Okay. So I was eight or something in like full on seventies parenting of where are the kids? I don't know. Like sent me with me. Some R rated movie. Some R rated movie. I was also talking about Kentucky fried movie, which are these completely bananas seventies R rated movies that I went to see with my drunken Scottish nanny in the East Hampton movie theater. That is and fantastic. So, besides being the only black person in the East Hampton movie theater and the only person with a drunken Scottish nanny in <laughs> East Hampton, movie theater, all the- I was eight. It was so wild. Well, here's the great thing you were not the only eight year old. No, I was not the only eight year old. Like all those movies, you guys, like Bad News Bears, never get made in a million years. Yeah. 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 But, um, wow. So, I mean, obviously, you've gone back and seen it again, I'm sure. Blazing Saddles. Yeah, I can yeah. do that. We can do the whole thing if you want. Let's just do do it verbatim. Can we do? I want to be Gabby Hayes. Okay. Do you want to start? No. Oh. <laughs> oh, here's what I want to know. Um, because Alex hasn't seen it, and I wonder. Alex still hasn't seen it. No. You know, I can go watch it and come back if you. Sorry, Joe, where, yeah, have you, Joe? We've been. I've been. How, can you, how can you get up and face the world? If you I know. I know. I know. It's sad. No, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I didn't see it. There were a lot of movies that, unlike Jenny and her, you know, incredibly neglectful parents, I was not allowed to see because my parents just wouldn't let me see anything that had any kind of racy content. So I think I missed like a window of films and then kind of outgrew the moment where it would have been the time for me to see it. There is always a time. It falls into that that window. Here's what I wonder. I wonder how it plays today. I mean, so many comedies kind of, you know, time is not always kind to them. And I know that the last time I saw it with a bunch of people, we were all dying laughing. And, and I would say that most of it was simply because the movie was still works for us. Mm-hmm. But there is that element of like, you just, you still hear the echoes of your hysterical laughter from you mm-hmm. know, like seven or eight or whatever sure. it was. But I'm, I'm, I'm wondering like walking in cold, like I, I would almost want to do like a live viewing with Alex. Mm-hmm. responding to it as he watched it for the first time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I actually think I have sort of an answer to that, which is that, you know, I remember Airplane being one of the funniest movies of all time from my childhood. Sure. Showed it to my son, who's about to turn 16. I don't think he cracked a laugh one time. And he turned to me at one point and was like, I don't understand why this is funny to you. <laughs> <laughs> have you considered perhaps replacing? <laughs> I mean, I have thought about it. Wow! Well, you yeah, know, I mean, so much the... of so much of airplane is 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 based on iconic understanding of mm, movie yeah. cliches and of the yeah. actors in the movie. Yes, yes, and, yeah. And because that they they conjure up an entire 
universe that we all grew up in, in one movie. It's so and, true. And these kids didn't grow up in that universe, and no. they actually have very little contact with it. Yeah, they don't know how felt screamingly hilarious it is to watch Robert Stack and Lloyd Bridges and, oh, and right. even Leslie Nielsen at that time just yes. demolishing yeah. their very straight-laced personas yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, that would be amazing. And then, yeah, do you, I mean, you know, people always say you couldn't make Blazing Saddles today, and I, I guess they're right. They're right. I mean, you never get it made. You could, yeah. you could, you could, you could talk people into making it, but you could never get anybody to pay for it, and you could never do yeah. it for a studio. Well, and how they did it for that studio was is kind of still kind of remarkable. Mm -hmm. Wait, which studio was it? It was it was was it, it was Warner Brothers. Oh, it was Warner Brothers. Well, you know, here's the thing, and this may be completely disconnected, but if you look at Warner Brothers animation, I always think the world is divided besides the red licorice, black licorice thing, and the people with uh, you either like you're caring for a kid or an elderly parent, or you don't have anybody like that in your life, and those are big dividing lines. You're either a Warner Brothers animation person, you're either Bugs Bunny or you're Mickey mm. in your camps. And mm, we but, were yes. straight up Bugs. Yeah, Bugs Bunny. Yeah, totally. straight totally. up. Totally. And you can take a line, I feel you could draw a line from the straight up inappropriate, outrageous fucking nutsness yeah. of Bugs and his world to Mel Brooks and his world. Mm -hmm. I really do. So it makes sense for me that it was, that it was a Warner's movie. Yeah. I don't see how you could get it. I also don't think, I don't think that anybody would understand how essentially warm-hearted that movie is and how it's about, it's kind of about boy meets boy and everybody gets a family at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't, and when, you know, Joe was talking about the context, the context of the classic Western, I don't know if there's such thing as a classic Western anymore. A classic Western feels retro right. now. And it was still a thing. Yeah, but uh, wow, it was, yeah. it was insane. Well, the the first the first and sort of deepest one for me would be ET, um, which you know is obviously one for everybody. But um, that that is a film I saw at the Cinerama Dome opening weekend, and it was one of those like wait wait online for six hours before you get to go in, and the no the noise around it was so huge. And it was my first, um, there was something that happened to me when I watched that film that I didn't realize happened at the time, but then I carried with me through my understanding of narrative, not just in terms of screenwriting, but also as I came to become a director, uh, which is that, that that opening sequence, the first 10 minutes of E.T. in the forest, is such a subjective experience. The way he shoots, the way Spielberg shoots that scene is really your, your but for the exception of the, the wide shot of the ship to establish the geography, the camera's at ground level the entire time. And, and it's, it's tied entirely to the point of view of hiding E.T. Or, or seeing from his point of view. And it was my first understanding of subjectivity in storytelling. There was a particular moment where E.T. sort of looks up at the trees and the camera is low and it's sort of slowly dolling up, up at the big redwoods and there's a sort of a, an organ swell of a John Williams score. And it hit me so profoundly in ways that I don't think I understood even at the time. Um, and there's, you know, that's a movie that's filled with like a billion moments and, and you know, and, and it, has, it has become, but I, it's a funny thing because Whenever I now, when I'm directing, I like to watch at least one movie a day, um, and and I find and I'm I'm curious, Joe. I don't know what your experiences have been like this. And I, by the way, Joe, I have a story to tell you about about your Twilight Zone segment, but I'll get to that in a second. So, um, when you're directing, you see movies differently because you're watching the choices that the director made. Like when you're date when you're in the moment of choosing lenses and choosing shots and, uh, and asking why you, once you're watching somebody else's movie, you're no longer watching it as an audience member. You're, you're acutely aware of what the director was doing or not doing. And every time I direct now, I find myself always gravitating back to Spielberg. Just, there's just, it's just where my heart goes. And I think it has a lot to do with ET and that first experience I had. How old were you? I think I was eight, seven years old, eight years old. Yeah. No, that, that would that would account for it. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, you know, and, and it was also, and it was also tied to Elliot. So it was like Elliot or ET. I mean, the camera was very tied to those two characters. Um, but yeah, it was, I was exactly the, the right age. And my sister had to be carried out of the theater because she was four years younger than I. And this brings me around to like, like carried out because terrified. Oh, emotionally or terrified. She was totally terrified. She couldn't, she wow. just didn't know how to process you know, particularly when E.T. was dying, like, I mean, it was like way too much for her, you know? Yeah. Like when Bambi's mother died. Yeah, it's the same I thing. actually have an issue with Bambi's mom, but I don't want to, do, I don't want to distract from Alex's thing. Like, as a mother, you mean, or? Well, she was a shit mother. But um, <laughs> I have a whole, like, I'm burned in a fire. She burned in a fire. You <laughs> <laughs> I have a whole Bambi thing. I have a whole Disney mom thing. But it's I don't want to. Part of her anti-Disney screed. <laughs> I don't talk about E.T. without talking about the performance of Drew Barrymore. No. Um, because she's four. Everybody, 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 all the kids in that movie. Yeah. And, and there, actually, there's a very interesting, I don't remember, it was somewhat recently, that there were, there's, there's documentary footage has emerged of him directing those children. Mm-hmm. And Joe, I don't know if you've ever seen that footage, but it's really something because it, there's, there's a moment in it where He's, I think he's directing, I can't remember if it is the scene where E.T.'s dying, but he's directing Drew Barrymore and he's very quietly talking to her and she's, he's like saying things to her and she's sobbing. She's just starting to sob. And then he calls cut and like hands her her doll and she has to hold the doll and sort of walk off. And he turns to the camera and like, he looks like he's about to cry. He just, he's feeling, you know, he's doing what the director has to do, which is how do I get this performance out of your children? It requires you to be inside of it. Yeah, torture children. It requires you to be inside of it with them if you're doing it right and if you're doing it honestly. And and it was just a very powerful thing to see. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm feeling bad for this poor girl. So here's my here's my story about about. So you directed the the um, the Twilight Zone with with the boy, correct? Yeah. Okay. I had to be carried out of the theater from that when I saw. That. I the the girl with no mouth was so terrifying. So it was oh, you're not the so only person. It's, Mike Nichols once told me that he that in one of the few times I ever met Mike Nichols, he said, "You know, you're that my my kid was so upset by watching that <laughs> <laughs> girl with no mouth." I, I mean, a lot of kids were told that terrifying. Know, yeah, terrifying. Terrifying. I, right, wasn't it? I was hiding under the seat, and my my cousin and I went to see it with my dad, who would always take us to movies that were which I really appreciate now, but they were just past where I probably should have been to see them. And he, we were hiding under the seat and he picked us up and had to carry us out. Now revisiting it, it's brilliant. It's really a brilliant and very scary. Like it, what it does tonally is amazing. Um, but but I, I have you to thank for my first true fear in cinema. So thank you. You have my apologies. <laughs> no, no, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Between you and your sister, how many, how many times were you guys carried out of movies? out of films and when's the last time it happened <laughs> i mean you know jenny had to carry me out of, of something recently but yes, it's you know, true. yeah like a fireman i, I gave him the <laughs> like, what, what did you throw him over your shoulder yeah. um, <laughs> they, they sell j- little jackets with handles on them now like buster keaton's father made for him because he used to throw them across the stage as part of it <laughs> oh my god that's fantastic well uh, jenny what's what's uh, what's next with you well, and, and how will we badmouth disney this time well i you know i'm more than happy um, I will duke it out with anybody who wants to say, but my th- the real question is, you look at Mickey Mouse, you take the white gloves off, what are you going to see? You see the little rat claws. I don't want to see them. That's not funny. <laughs> right? Okay. So I don't, I also feel like coming from New York City, Bugs was, Bugs's accent was a mixture of Bronx and Brooklyn. Correct, so yeah. that's what I fucking understand. I'm like, hey kids, says Mickey, who talks like that? No one. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually thinking about the one kid I knew when I was a kid who was a Disney kid instead of a Warner Brothers kid. And and it did not, it did not go well for him. <laughs> it did not go well. It does not go well. Yeah. Um, I have more Mel Brooks on my list, but I think I will, might come back to Mel. Okay. Circle, which is uh, a movie that without doubt formed me, made me, changed me, made me understand life was Singing in the Rain. Uh-huh. Um, uh, for many, many reasons, all my stuff, Alex, it's interesting because Alex's stuff, as, as much as I understand it, is tied to the experience of watching the movie and what he saw and what he were heard. And mine is all about what was going on around me when I was watching the movie. Mm. Um, and uh, Betty Comden 
and Adolph Green and Adolph's wonderful wife, Phyllis Newman, all our parents were friends for generations. And so we were all together every summer, all the time. So, and their daughter, Amanda Green, has been nominated for two Tonys and she just got nominated again for Mr. Saturday Night. She's amazing. Um, shout out to Amanda. Hey, Amanda, you're welcome. Um, uh, so what I remember, it's the way I watched that movie. Everybody, Adolph and also my dad, we all had, we all were around in East Hampton. We all lived close to each other and everybody had a projector and you'd like the dad would have like a cigarette like hanging out of his mouth and like a drink over here like trying to like uh, like get the projector up the kids were doing gut like one kid was under the coats asleep and the other kid was like you know saving cigarette butts or the other kid was whatever it is that we were doing and so you saw singing in the rain with compton and green singing singing in the in the rain oh my god and um (laughs) and you go to adam bar mitzvah and like gene kelly is there and gene kelly gave adam five dollars for his bar mitzvah and i'm so sorry that was kind of that's kind of a lame thing to do but the the palette of that movie the donald o'connor and the dummy mm-hmm. i think in terms of watching mm-hmm. something on a, in a movie that's what i want to see talk about bugs like, bunny too yeah huh? talk about bugs bunny I mean, talk that, about that, bugs bunny there's that like dad scene is just it, yeah. yes and for my whole life, and I have never accomplished, accomplished this, and I don't know if anybody ever will, my whole life, I have wanted to be Sid Charisse in the green dress <laughs> forever. And if you're not in love with her, whatever gender, whatever your orientation is, I do not care because it was it stopped me in my 10-year-old or 9-year-old tracks of like, this is what, whatever it is, it is, it's her. Um, I don't know who the production designer of that movie was. I really wish I could remember because the palette, the colors, it didn't look, and this happened in another of my, on my favorite movie lists. It didn't look like Hollywood. It looked like the nostalgia mm-hmm. of Hollywood mm-hmm. and the saturation of the color. And you just wanted to live there. Um, no, do you know who that was? Um, not offhand, no. Oh, I'm, I'm, you usually, you always know that stuff. We, there is so much room guys. up there. We, we can <laughs> <laughs> you can Google. No, I'm, I'm secretly typing it in so I can pretend that I knew. So you knew but, it, you're uh, pulling it's, it out. It's, it's, it's taking me too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but we used to be, um, we used to be Lena Lamont. We would say, I can't stand him. I mean, can't stand him. I can't, can't stand him. <laughs> I'll, if you spread one word about me, I'll see you. I love it. Um, and, she's, and she was actually, you know, everybody remembers her for that movie and for that bizarre performance. But, you know, she was actually a terrific actress. And, she, and she's brilliant in the, the Asphalt Jungle. I mean, she's, oh God, re- she's really a good actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think this was, I guess, her high point. But when your high point is playing a character that's that caricatured, it, I guess it must be hard to use that to get other parts because there are no other parts like that. She, the, she had a certain Judy Holiday quality to her, who's one of my favorite people. Yes. Yeah. Um, Judy Holiday seemed more accessible. Like you, you would might want to go to lunch with Judy Holiday and all the characters she played. You might not want to go to lunch with Lena Lamont. Well, also Lena Lamont was a total bitch. I mean, she was just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Randall Duell and Cedric Gibbons were the art directors. Well, my hat is I salute them. I salute yes. them with my there are very few sounds more enjoyable to me than than my my son's laugh, but particularly when he was, uh, you know, very very little. And the first time that I remember really hearing a sound out of him I'd never heard before was putting him in front of Singing in the Rain, and he watched Donald O'Connor. Donald O'Connor, right? And he, yes. And like he exploded. He literally mm-hmm. exploded with laughter. Like he could not control himself. And that is, you know, I mean, we're talking about. 50, 70, 60 years later? How many years later? Oh, more than that? More than that? More, yeah. Yeah, seven, 70, so like 70 years. 80 years later? And it's still just one of the greatest numbers of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's no way to top that. It's not, it's not something that you can evolve beyond. It's not like some nascent form. It's just... No, and, and what was so incredible about it 
was that if you watch it, there's almost no cuts in the whole thing. He's just doing that on the couch He's doing it. and dancing around with it. And the camera's just following him. There's, it's not made in cuts, which is even more stunning because you realize how fast he was and how nimble yeah. he was. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Jenny, I can't, I can't, uh, so wait, so none of those people had, had a guy whose job was to take care of the projector. No, 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 no. They this actually did it themselves. All, I'm so no, shocked. Was all, <laughs> there was always a lot of yelling because people would forget things and people would, and, and like lose their glasses and then oh, wait, who has the children? I don't know. Who's hungry. Oh, me. Shit like that. Was this um, a film projector or a video projector? No projector. Oh, be film. And then people screen stuff and all the everybody smoked cigarettes. So you had to stop after after yeah. you know, it's a three. Yeah, reel, you have to change so reels right. and everyone would go pee. And um uh it was every summer and it was just like that. And that's how we saw the boyfriend, that's how we saw Yellow Submarine, that's how we saw Captain mm -hmm. Blood, and that's how we saw so we saw wow. some of the thin men. Wow. It was, like that, always smoke, 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 and wow. the sound of the ticket, 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 ticket. Yeah. Yes. Here I am talking about it. It doesn't exist anywhere. It's not. It's not. Um, it exists in your mind. It exists in my mind. Right. Uh, Alex, what's what's yours what's next? Well, since we're on the Sydney Lumet uh, front right now, I will go with network. Actually, I'll jump ahead in my life. To oh, network. that's the one about the. Uh, I'm <laughs> And Network was, I mean, there were a couple of movies that I remember sort of made me go, oh, somebody wrote that. Like there was yeah. actually there were words <laughs> that were really, really considered. And that yeah. was like another level of it because he brought, you know, Chayefsky brought his extraordinary ability as a playwright to this thing. But there, there was a thing that, that happens in that movie that is, is almost impossible. And is clearly so specific to Jenny's dad and to Chayefsky, which is you have this very literate, um, you know, uh, really kind of playwright, you know, very structured, people don't really talk like that thing. And you pair him with the most naturalistic director on the planet, right? And so you get this very interesting sort of, uh, it, I think in another director's hands, that movie would not have been what it was on a whole, a whole lot of fronts. But hearing the monologues that he wrote for the characters was the first time that I really understood what it meant to successfully write a monologue and that, and that he used words that I had to look up that I still would probably have to look up because nobody <laughs> does, um, was, was really quite something. And yet it, he, he managed to convey, and I think again, this is because of, it's a brilliant script, but it's so brilliantly directed. There's so much emotion under what is essentially a dark comedy, which is very hard to mine emotion from. You know, typically there's a distancing thing that happens with dark comedy and that film, it just walks an impossible line where, you know, that beautiful scene um, where uh, 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 Bill William Holden uh, is leaving his wife, which is really one of the most amazingly written scenes ever, you know? Interesting. Oh my God, it's just, it's in, the curves of the scene are so extraordinary. And, you know, and despite her rage and, and just disgust and also her heartbreak in the scene, she ends up by saying, you're in for a dreadful lot of grief, Max. And like you, you feel that she cares for him in this way that's so profound, you know, and, you, and he knows, he's like, I know, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Like, I know. it's not gonna be good for anybody. Um, but there was just something about that film um, and then, you know, I, it's one of those films that you can watch it over and over and over again, and you're going to see a, a, new, a million new things every time. There's literally no way for it to get old. But there, there are certain choices that, that Sydney made um, that still blow me away. Like when Ned Beatty gives his, gives his incredible speech in that, mm -hmm. first of all, he's basically like, I'm turning off all the lights except for the green ones, right? And then I'm going to line the green ones down the table, and I'm going to put one spot on Ned Beatty at the end, and the, at, on uh, Ned Beatty at the end. And again, no cuts. He's going to start. He's just going to, he's going to give his dialogue with the most impeccable rhythm. And he's going to make his way over to the, across the table with these, with this incredible sort of symmetry of those beautiful green lights. And there's a certain thing, there's certain magic that happens when, when a director and a, and a writer and an, and obviously every actor in that film is unbelievable, you know, 
come together and everyone's just in the, everyone's telling the same story, you know, they're singing the same song. And that was really the first time that I, I understood, I will never write anything as good as that. Never. That, that speech is one of the most prescient that has ever been done. In the never. never. <laughs> and, and that film is one of the most prescient. It's still about everything we're dealing with in the world of television and streaming, you know? Yeah. 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 But I mean, the, the thing I love about stuff like that too, though, is, is no matter how, cause we all have those moments where you're like, ah, I'm so good. It's, it's <laughs> great to be reminded. There are still miles to yeah. go yes. before yeah. you can even like shine Patty Chayefsky's shoes. Or, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and then casting, yeah, you say Ned Beatty, boggle my mind. Cause he's still like, how many, how many movies is Ned Beatty scary in? You know, yeah. he's, oh, hey, it's Ned yeah. Beatty. Yeah. And then, Boom, he's just he was a, a fine yeah. actor. And Robert Duvall, who is like oh, just yeah. chilling in this. Chilling. Chilling. Mean, yeah. And, and, the, and the, the offhand way in which they decide that they're good, well, we just have to kill him. Yep. Yes. Nobody bats an eye. They all sit there. It's like, it's just, a, it's just another suggestion that came out of the meeting. Yep. No, I, I literally do. used that line in a meeting today and nobody got the reference. And it was a <laughs> horrifying moment. I think like, oh my God, they think I'm actually suggesting killing someone. Yep. <laughs> just going to have to kill some of a bitch. At the top of that scene, before they get into the room, there's this moment where Ned uh, Beatty is walking, um, walking, walking Howard Beale into the room. I'm a salesman, Mr. Beale. <laughs> and then... Let's see if I can. I don't remember what the line is. And Ned Beatty just sort of puts his hand on Harbill's shoulder, like, and just pushes him into the room. And I felt like I was watching that moment for me is more terrifying. Although the speech is the thing, that moment, I felt like, oh my God, I'm watching a bride on her wedding night in like. <laughs> 1300 and this is about to be the worst experience oh. 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 this is so bad what's about to happen is so fucking bad bad and that's what it is uh, uh, that's the <laughs> and, greatest and, and, and horrifying that is, analogy that ever it's the movie where uh, where to, to 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 go full circle it's the movie where william holden says that faye dunaway learned about life from bugs bunny uh, that's right because what Yes, he says about life, life from Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny, I know. I did. I feel I'm better for it. I feel like in the after <laughs> for real. In the afterlife, who do you want at dinner? Bugs, definitely. Freddie Mercury and whoever, whoever more. But you want Bugs at the table. I do. Only, only if there's no dynamite candles. <laughs> Wait, I, I, have, I have to ask now because I'm doing the like you were you were something like you said you were like seven or eight or whatever when you saw Blazing Saddles. Were, did you ever, were you ever, I mean, were you on the set of Network? Um, well, Patty was at our house and I had a barbecue <laughs> house and he didn't want to, and I was like, well, fuck you then. Because he didn't want to, he was not a barbecue guy. What? Tell that story more specifically. So you said, Mr. Chavsky, would you like to, you said Patty? Do you want to play Barbies? Because I had Barbie, it wasn't a Barbie dream house. It wasn't, she had Barbie had a, like a mall with an escalator. I was like, do you want to play Barbies? And he said, no. <laughs> and I didn't, I was young, so I was a girl. So I didn't say, well, fuck you then, but I thought, well, fuck you then. Pretty um, sane answer, actually. But that, <laughs> that's, that's my only Patty Chayefsky story. Uh, but no, not the network. You know, the first time, what, well, then now. The way story. better than mine. Huh? It's way better than my Patty Chayefsky story. No, what's I, yours? I, I, I haven't got one. I don't have one. <laughs> so but I, I'd like to steal false. yours, though. You can, you can totally have it. You just have to own the Barbies. Um, I miss Patty Chayefsky if you play with my Barbies. Yeah, he wasn't a Barbie guy. Um, but well, this then brings us around because um, I only have all the all my dad's movies are my favorite movies because I love my dad very much and I miss him. Um, uh, in terms of you asked me, did I go on the set? And I wasn't. We weren't that kind of family. Dad would go to work at six in the morning and come home at six at night, and then we all had dinner and went to bed. Um, uh, but the first time that I lived in movie world was and it's one of my it's on my list which is murder on the orient express oh um, what a world movie, to live in what a world to live in and that's why again it's uh tony walton did the production design and for the rest of my life the belgrade train station with the oranges falling out of the cart is the most extraordinary thing in the history of things um it's the only time he ever moved us he moved us all to london for that 18 months uh it was the first time i had a kind of an idea 
of what my dad did for a living. And I knew that I had a train. Um, and I remember Betty Bacall and she was in her introduction scene um, and she's wearing lilac and she's wearing a hat the size of, you know, a flying saucer with plumes and she's wearing lilac gloves and she, and we had met and uh, I was six, you know, so I don't think she, we hadn't chatted or anything like that, but she extended her glove and she said, don't touch me, I'll fall apart. And I was like, I'm six. So it, like, it went completely over my head. I was terrified. Um, I love Albert Finney because it is the funniest performance. One of the funniest Albert Finney performances. Belgian upstart man. Yes. <laughs> I'm not a Frenchie. I'm a Belgian. Oh, no, wait, no, no. That's James Coco in. That's, yes. In, in um, Chief Detective. Not Chief, not Chief Detective. Murder, Murder by, by death. death. Murder, Murder by, by death. death. Murder by death. Um, uh, Albert Finney's, you know, the speech that Poirot gives, his last speech, his final speech, that was nine minutes. That was a real. And you have, again, that was a movie that was supposed to look like nostalgia because Tony Walton did the production design and, and, and the images in the beginning, the newspapers of Daisy kidnapped, that all blended in in my mind. And again, this has nothing to do with being a person who talks like movie, movie talk. But during that period, there were still something called newspapers and still something called newspaper images. And there were black and white images that were powerful. And around the same time as that movie was released, unless I have it wrong and twisted in my head, which I might, but it doesn't matter. The black and white image of the terrorist at Munich in the ski mask peeking over the balcony of the yeah. And then there were the, in the top of Murder, 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 during Express, the black and white movie, uh, the black and white stills of a grieving family or of, a, you know, the, the kidnapped little girl. And they got all tangled together in this really deep way about that time, something about a sensational case and there's, you're not alone and, um, uh, how something can invade a family and the, the, the claustrophobia of the train and those extraordinary costumes. I mean, there's just nowhere you can, you cannot look anywhere in that movie and not see something that makes you go, <gasps> and just to see Wendy Hiller order her dinner. And this is, Wendy Hiller said, she wouldn't talk to the waiter. The waiter asked her, the princess Dragomirov, what are you gonna have? And she got mad and said to her maid, tell him I'll have the poached salmon in you, potato, and a small green salad. And then she <laughs> left. And I was like, those are some fucking goals, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm sober. I've always wanted to go on, because of that movie, go on the Orient Express. And I'm 100% convinced that no matter how wonderful it is, it, it will never there. live up to my my fake memories of well, it's, it. It's yeah. great that you got to go on a trip now because now, yeah. now when they make those movies, they do them all in front of green screens. Yeah. They don't go to the locations anymore. Yeah. The new one is supposedly in Egypt. It's all green screen. It's all green screen. That yeah. shot where the train is leaving the station and he plays the Waltz plays. Anyway. Lovely. I do have a, 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 um, um, a Lauren McCall story, but mm. I have no penny chairs. I got, I got to flirt with her at the Oscars. Oh, that's cool. Which was incredible because I was the year the year I was there. It's like she was there at the governor's mom. I'm just like, uh, and I was talking to Bill Hurt, and he's like, "Oh, do you know Betty?" I'm like, "How, how the hell would I know?" He's like, "You want to meet her?" I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" He just <laughs> brings me over, and I managed to stumble at stutter at something like, and put into my girlfriend at the time, and I said, "That that's uh, that's the woman I love. You're you're the girl of my dreams." And she, we're talking five seconds into the conversation, she oh, she's already into it. She goes. That's what Bogey used to say. And now she's talking about Bogey. And I'm like, how is this the world I live in? <laughs> Alex, you met her. Jenny took me to a party uh, at um, uh, Hal Prince's. Hal Prince's house. Wow. And um, it was the most incredible apartment I've ever seen in New York in the history of ever. And I was sort of surrounded by all these, uh, you know, theater people and and it, it was so far from the world that i 
new, but it was it was just an incredible thing to look around. And I'm sitting on the couch, and um, I just turned to my right, and I realized that the woman sitting next to me was was Laura <laughs> McCall. And I was up? I didn't. She said, she said something to me, and I think I I did not have the wherewithal to flirt or anything. I probably you know, I was about to throw up on her or something because I was so, <laughs> but it was so uh, incredible. And she, you know, still had that same, you know, some people, movie stars have presence. They just, yeah, just very specific. And yeah. it, was, it was just to sort of behold her presence was so amazing. Yes. Yes. I loved her on The Sopranos too. Do you remember she gets, uh, she gets mugged and they take her swag bag. You know, I just saw her, it's funny, I was just re-watching this movie Birth that I think is a very interesting and very underrated movie. And she oh, the, played, um, she's Jonathan, in it. The, the Jonathan Glazer film. Jonathan Glazer film, yeah, yeah, that's right. And in in still, like, the way she holds the camera. Is mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Alex, give us, give us another one. Um, well, I think it's Jenny's turn. I think I gave you no, a... Just no, about she just did... Oh, right, <laughs> yeah, right, we right. say we were, that was our Sydney Lumet. Okay. Uh, All right, so uh, I'll jump around um and i'll go i'll jump forward uh to the insider michael Mann, oh, wow. the insider. um literally which, just rewatched that yeah which for me was a totally life-changing movie as well i i had the incredible privilege of getting to work for michael uh on i was a pa on heat what and yeah and um i and i got to watch him direct and he was very kind to me and um he, he, he literally uh, put me on lockup over Pacino's shoulder at Cape Manalini for two and a half nights while we were shooting that scene. Wow. I, I watched that whole scene live, wow. which was really something else. But, <laughs> um, but The Insider was, he, like, I've always been a, just a huge fan. I mean, starting from Miami Vice as a kid, but then Manhunter is, is a truly brilliant film. Masterpiece. And, and, you know, and then, so you have the director who can go from that to then, Last of the Mohicans, which is a really interesting film, but like a total, you would not necessarily know that he directed that film because it was so classically presented. And then you realize when you kind of dig deeper, there's a lot of him in there. And, um, and then you, you know, you get the heat and then the insider. And um, there was something again about, he was like the first guy that started tying close, very close focus lenses to actors and moving them through spaces in ways that are now being, you know, co- they've been copied so many times, but, you know, he'd put like a, you know, 250 mil on Russell Crowe's shoulder. You know, I think it's even a longer lens than that. And then have it literally on his shoulder and then have him walk through a turn, like a, a revolving door. And it, it just, on a, on a very wide, long lens, which shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, but those close focus lenses that he was using were so extraordinary. And um, there was something about the, the, just the kinetic energy of the filmmaking, uh, the, the sort of the reality, the use of color, the use of, um, I, I always feel like one of the things that I love most about Michael's work is that he, he sort of, it's very, very grounded and very raw, but it's also highly stylized and dreamlike. And that's a very hard thing to do, both of those things at the same time. It's, yeah. a, it's a trick, actually, because they, 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 they could easily contradict each other. And if you get too, lost in too much poetry, then the stakes start to go away. And if you get too grounded in reality without the poetry, you lose something there, too. So he found something amazing there. But I think it was... Um, it, it is another, another one, just to my writer's ear, just some of the dialogue in that film some of the moments of dialogue, um, you know, the, a kind of, uh, like, I, I don't, I don't remember the name of the actor, but there's an incredible moment where, the, where Russell, where Russell's character, Jeffrey Wigan talking to one of the, his potential attorneys who also uh, has just like flown himself in on a private plane. And he explains how he used to, he used to fly jets in the Navy and that combat has a duration of seconds. And, and, um, and, and, and then he segues from there to this, the sort of the decisions that you make in a moment in a split second and how the tobacco companies or entities of that nature can unwind you in the same period of time. And he says, and it, he says the line, he says, and it's own, it's its own special kind of violence because it's directed at your kids. And it was one of those lines that like, you just go, ah, like it's yeah. so powerfully written and so specific. Um, and there's just so much of that. And that was um, Eric Roth and, and Michael Mann working together. Um, you know, two of the best screenwriters to my ear of all time. And um, 
I, I think the way that he combined just the, the there's an emotional effect that that kind of filmmaking has on a viewer where you are utterly immersed in a world, just totally and completely immersed in a world. And the sort of the bravery of the way he was using lenses to tie the storytelling to the character's emotional experiences and the kind of, he would have these very long sequences where you would have to, he, he really makes you do the work of interpreting what's happening. You know, he's, he's not really just like feeding the audience anything specific, you know, watching the, the silent movie back and forth of them communicating by fax machine at the beginning, right. or their secret meeting at the hotel. Like you really have to pay attention to what's happening, you know? Um, and the movie doesn't make any concessions. It's like, you're going to keep up or you're going to fall behind, but I'm not waiting for you. And that's a really interesting, you know, it's what I love about Michael Mann, actually. Yeah. He also, uh, no matter how much, I mean, the technology he uses changes almost in every film because he's such a, yeah. so, and, but no matter how different they all look, nobody shoots night like him in any of those movies. No. And he, and the thing is like, he, you know, he, the thing, he was very, a very, very tough shoot because it was almost all nights. There was, there were far less days, more nights. So it was like Los Angeles at night. And you, like, I'd been, a, I grew up in Los Angeles, but there were areas, parts, worlds in Los Angeles that I did not, I had never discovered until I, I worked there because we shot everywhere. I mean, oh, every yeah. he also knows LA like nobody. That's yeah. The, yeah. 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 And his research, like the, the meticulousness of his research was so extraordinary on, I mean, in all of his films, like, and just, you hear him talk, he's, he's like a poet laureate. I mean, he, 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 he is so saturated in the, he saturates himself in the world that he is going to represent in a way that I think very, very few filmmakers really even know how to do, you know, even if they have the will to do it. Um, but I just remember being a PA and getting pages every day and wow. standing in lockup for like six hours and just rereading and rereading and rereading the same pages over and over and understanding like why he made certain changes. Cause he would finish directing and then he'd rewrite and he'd cut and he'd go back the next day. I mean, I don't think the guy slept. Amazing. Yeah. That would have been an incredible experience. Yeah. Holy cow. It was hey. Yeah. I love that film too. And I remember at the time being a little like, cause I was such a giant fan and like all of a sudden he's doing a courtroom drama. It seemed like, I was like, what are you kidding me? You're the, like, you, you, you do violence. What are you doing? You crazy person. Yeah. And yeah. Amazing movie. Um, yeah. oh, love it so much. Oh yeah. man. These are, these are great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we haven't, we haven't had to fight with anybody yet, Joe. No. <laughs> Have you actually had to fight with people? No, oh, we did have, we had one director on a long time. He was actually a friend of mine who, who we, we got into a huge argument over one movie. What are you insane? <laughs> but he's a friend of, he's a friend of mine and we can do that. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to bag math. I'll bag on him, but not. <laughs> but yeah, Jenny, what's. Uh... Okay. Well, I was going to go back to Mel because Mel is all of my top five, but since we've had a little bit of a Mel discussion, young Frankenstein, young Frankenstein. Um, Masterpiece. Masterpiece. Yes. Good God. But um, I'm going to, because something, I remembered something and I sort of, while you guys were talking, I, I don't know, relived my entire life and like wrote down material. And now I'm finding that back on you. It was that interesting. That's, that's that how it goes. Um, a movie called The Goddess, Kim Stanley. Wow. Mm. No one's ever brought that one up. Uh, that is a first. That, her performance in that movie. Uh, was the first time I ever felt like, and I never, Alex will tell you, I'm not, I'm political, but I'm not necessarily politically correct. Um, but I felt, I don't remember who directed it. I don't remember who wrote it. I remember her. And I felt like there was an understanding of what it is to be female in this fucking world. Um, and that somebody heard me, her, it, whatever the hell it was. And, um, and it was right there. And I mean, it's not an easy movie to watch. It's like a heartbreaker. I mean, you may, you know, it's like, please, please stop. Please stop. Yes, sir. No, so say, Joe, do you want to tell her who wrote it? Or where, did, where did you, where did you see this? Because it's not a movie that is frequently seen. Did you write it? You didn't write it. You're far too. No, no, of course yeah, not. no, I wrote it. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Don't I look amazing. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'll give you a, I'll give you a hint. I don't like Barbies. How did she ask you about the goddess? Yeah. <laughs> That's probably why you saw it. You must have seen it. That's probably why I saw it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I don't know this film at all. Oh, my God. 
Really? It's it's yes. seldom it's seldom run on television, and it was it was not it was a flop when it came out because it's because it, it's very dark. You know, it's, it's it's not it's not a lot of fun. It, there's not one fun. There's like not one frame. Every frame of that movie is the 13 year old girl married to the the feudal lord in the 1300s. I mean, and it's her wedding night. Every single fucking frame. Um, it's just. But I can't. In terms of performances, um, there are a couple of performances in the world that make me I'll never ever ever forget in a million years. One is the little boy in Cinema Paradiso. One is Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz. Um, and of course, like the great ones that everybody loves, but I've never seen, and I'm trying to think of an actress who just laid herself on the tracks like that and said, run me over. Because that was some, and if you haven't seen it, you should take a night, get really depressed, have a drink. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. little Jenna Rollins-ish. Yes. Yeah. I'm surprised actually nobody's made it again, although it's wise not to make it again. Number one, if it flopped and number two, if it's incredibly dark, but I think it's, a, it's so valuable and it, I hear it and I still see it and then I still can see moments in it. Well, I've never, Do you and, think and, our and friends you know, at Movies Unlimited have a... No, Joe, I know our friends at Movies Unlimited have it. They're our sponsors and they do have <laughs> it. So we, we use every, every possibility to mention the name of ours. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we do because... Uh, They're not just our sponsor, they're the best. MoviesUnlimited.com is the movie collector's website. They're not only huge fans of our show, but they feature many of the movies we discuss here, as you just heard, so you can easily find them to add to your collection. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on the Trailers from Hell website and buy your favorites from hard-to-find films, imports, and more. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. That's right. I got to check that out. I, I, no. I've never. Wow. That's amazing. Good, good, good call. Thank you. <laughs> Alex, you want to go on your list or are you going you to take the challenge and pull something out of left field? That's, um. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have my list. Stump the panel. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not going to stump the panel. That's never happening. I'm, I, I'm thinking about, um, again, sort of to my writer's ear, like that was one of the things I was thinking about, where, like what were the movies that tuned mm-hmm. me to a specific thing? And, uh, and they're, they're, I, I think I saw them in very close proximity and they were obviously the same. They tuned, they hit the same note for me, but uh, both, broadcast news in terms of endearment at the same time for me mm-hmm. um, was it was just sort of an understanding of finding humor and pathos in characters and tragedy and allowing scenes and characters to be difficult and ugly and complicated in a way that I wasn't really seeing in a lot of other sort of studio narratives at the time. Um, and the, the idea that you, you can love somebody for their flaws and that a filmmaker can love the character for their flaws and, um, and, and sort of present it in a way that just felt so human and real, you know, it just felt so real. And it, it felt like James Brooks had, he clearly had deep relationships, maybe complicated ones with some of the actors, you know, on those films but they were so, they got something out of each other that was electric. And yeah, particularly, um, particularly in terms of endearment, I think they had, uh, there was a lot of issues with, with the, with the actors, but, um, yeah. but there, but you know, the old phrase, you know, when you use it, you know, totally. <laughs> yeah, so, it's, it's, it's interesting, Joe. I mean, I'm kind of curious, like difficult relationships with actors can bear fruit, I guess, but they can also be very destructive. And, and go the other way, you know? And maybe it was just that that story and that script was so perfectly kind of done, you know? And and her, and her the character that Shirley MacLaine played in that film was difficult. She was difficult, you know, in a, in a, in a lot of ways. And she didn't, she didn't uh, uh, 
she was abrasive, but you you could tell that he loved her as a character. You know, he was he was in it with her in a way that I think very few, particularly male directors, do with oh, women. I, I think you have to if you don't love your characters, you, you're you're not gonna you're gonna yeah. kind of get to the root of, of of what's going on in the movie. Yeah. Uh, you, you, even the villains in movies are supposed mm-hmm. to when they're when they're interesting, they they have different you know qualities and they have uh, they, they have they have their good points yeah uh, and I'm, I'm sure every actor who's had to play a, a you know a, a nasty villain in an errol flynn movie has always said to themselves okay now what 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 is this guy thinks he's right you know mm-hmm. and he th- he doesn't realize that when he's whipping these people it's a <laughs> it's a bad thing until his girlfriend looks at him funny mm-hmm. um I, I think that's part of the appeal of, of these kind of stories mm-hmm. yeah i i totally agree but he, you know, there was a, just a window of time where I think Brooks was making those films that, like, like nobody else yeah. really, could. you know, nobody else could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Jenny, do you have time for one more, or do we need to? I have a super fast one that's not even that deep because they ran out of ideas. Let's let's do it. Let's Holy do grail. it, and then and you guys grail. go off and do your important. Oh yeah. Holy grail! Um, it's the best movie ever made by people who ran out of ideas in the last twenty minutes. Um, I love that movie more than life itself because of the sheer we're going to do this oh well <laughs> of it all um the silliness the unabashed the fearless silliness i mean there's i don't even know like it's more fun to even it, to do that movie than see that movie what and movie the credits huh? holy grail holy grail holy grail, oh, holy grail. it's a british film it's uh King no, you, to tell me, <laughs> you were talking over it i couldn't hear what you said and the credits for that movie are the funniest credits I've ever read. Oh, a moose bit um, my sister. A moose bit my sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know what to say besides, uh, and maybe you could make the connection between Bugs Bunny, Mel Brooks, oh. and the Monty Python guys of we will be absurd and we will go as far as we can possibly go and we yeah. will still take it farther than you could ever possibly imagine. Well, there is a killer rabbit. And there's a killer there's rabbit. A rabbit. <laughs> and there's the knights who say neat. There's the cow when they throw the cow at the guy. Yeah. <laughs> what what are you gonna say about I, I I got nothing. I got nothing to say except what I don't know what they were thinking, and God bless them for it. I'll give you one more <laughs> one more quick uh name dropping. I have spent time with Superstar Story. Um that though I, I worked, I used to do crew and I worked on the movie Warlock. And the production designer is a guy named Roy Forge Smith, who was a lovely older British gentleman. He did Monty Python the Holy Grail. And he's the cop who puts his hand in the camera and ends the movie. Oh my God. Oh, and I was wow. just every day, I just come in and be like, oh my God, that's the cop from Holy Grail. He's my boss. <laughs> but that was Terry Gilliam. I mean, that was Terry Gilliam in the beginning of his Terry Gilliam ness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's such a great film. Um, well, guys, thank you so much, man. This was this was an absolute blast. This is great. And, uh, and, uh, I can't uh, imagine why you enjoy working with each other. But uh, <laughs> the name of the name of the show is "The Man Who Felt to Earth." In case we've yes. forgotten, uh, and that's highly recommended. Yeah, at least by me. And I guess I I did rewatch the film before we we're going to do it. I was like, I got to see this film. And also, my wife had never seen it. We're going to watch this thing. There's a lot of naked, and there there is a lot of naked. Um, and uh, uh, all I say is it, it's it's it, I think it even enhances the experience because it is it is a worthy follow up to that film. The and only person alive in that movie is Candy Clark. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 But uh, thank you. Looking forward. To, can I ask now? Is it sort of an, uh, a second season? Oh, we, we. I mean, I got. I we're literally finishing. I just finished the mix on the first season. I still have to do color timing on the last episode. I need a break for like at least three years before we. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. There's uh, another Walter Tevis books you can. Yeah, yeah actually, there, there. I just read. There's, um, uh, they're, they're doing another one. Which one? Um, I can't remember the. Oh God, it's. I'm sorry, I'm drawing a total blank. But um, uh, Alma Harrell, who did Honey Boy, which I thought was a fantastic film. Yeah. Um, is is doing a Walter Tevis. She's, she's adapting. Oh wow. Novel. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, guys, thank you very much. Thanks so much. Uh, love the show. Okay. It was wonderful to talking you. to you. And thank uh, you. yeah, best best of luck with it. Thank you. Yeah. And Joe, I've been a fan of your work since I was a kid. And um, thank you so much for. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. you know, thank you, guys. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Watch the Sydney Lament movie. <laughs> <laughs>
Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.